Hey, this is Cole Jones, and you're listening to the HodgePodge Podcast. This is Richard Schroeder, and you're listening to the HodgePodge Podcast. Hey, it's Derek Norsworthy, and you're listening to the HodgePodge Podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Mur from Jokers. I'm here in my hotel room. There's my blankie. These things are not important. Here's what is. You've made a choice to listen to the HodgePodge podcast. Not a bad choice, my friend. You are making good decisions in life. Subscribe now and anywhere that podcasts are available. Bye. I'm going to go back to cuddling from a blankie. Ladies and gentlemen, it's HodgePodge time. All right. On the podcast today, we have Lenny Pay. Now, Lenny Pay is a cool guy, man. Um, you're going to hear about the time when his video went viral of him singing Michael Jackson's That Girl Is Mine and how him and his friend that did the video, they made an appearance on The Ellen Show. You're also going to hear when he wrote with and for Colt Ford about his All of My Tomorrow song and how Lenny received his first Billboard number one album that he was a part of. You're also going to hear when he was signed with the record label and he released music under a different stage name than Lenny Pei. You're going to hear that name. You're also going to hear how his music was produced by Tim McGraw and Byron Gallimore. So it's a pretty cool chat today. He's also talking about touring with Tim McGraw and opening for Vanilla Ice and opening for Willie Nelson. You're going to hear why, what happened in 2009 that made him go to Nashville to pursue music. You're going to hear why. You're also going to hear why he's good friends with Mitchell Tenpenny, the drunk me guy, and they went to high school together. You're going to hear if, 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 if he's jealous of Michael, Mitchell Tenpenny. You're going to hear all these kind of gold things. We also take a deep dive into John Mayer. We go nerd on the, um, <laughs> the, the music and the guitar playing and the, and, the, and the pedal playing of John Mayer and just how good of a lyricist he is. You're also going to hear a little bit about Jordan Schmidt. That is... Um, a big songwriter in Nashville now making his place. He wrote Jump Me for Jordan, uh, for Mitchell Tenpenny. He's wrote for, uh, I'm sure, Fuller Georgia Line, stuff like that. So, yeah, this is pretty cool chat today. Here we go, right now. Let's go over to Lenny Payne. So, um, I'm going to get this right. So, in 2009, your house was destroyed in a fire, and that's when you decided to pursue music career, so you moved to Nashville. Yeah, my sister was going to Belmont University, so I mm-hmm. come down and visited Nashville once before to see her when we sent off to college. I was super young, I was only like 15 at the time, and our house burned down, like right when I turned 15, so my mom and I just decided to move to Nashville, and uh, it just happened so fast. I moved here and I met this guy who was kind of managing my sister, mm-hmm. she's also a music music artist herself, and uh, this guy basically was like, man, let me let me send a video of you playing guitar and singing the song to the Ellen Show. And he sent it to them, and like a week later, the video only had 600 views on YouTube, and we got on the Ellen Show. A buddy and I singing "The Girl Is Mine" by Michael Jackson, Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Like that changed my whole life. I was only 17, I think, when that happened. Right, and so when you when you and that friend recorded "That Girl Is Mine," um, it actually went viral, and then that's when you made your very first appearance on the Ellen Show, right? Yeah, it's crazy because the story of it is that it went viral, but honest to God, it only had like 700 views when we got the email from the Ellen Show. Right. It was pretty crazy. So, how does that process work? Um, I don't know if you know the the, the behind the scenes of it, but I'm going to ask. Does Ellen, when you when you email the, the, the song to Ellen DeGeneres, or the show, is she the one looking at it and saying, okay, give the okay, or is it producers like, maybe she'll like this, maybe she won't? 
Yeah, she's got producers. Like, one of her producers emailed me. Okay. And I, I was so young at the time, I showed my mom. I was like, Mom, this is a joke. This can't be real. And it was, a, it was like, hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I forgot her name, but she's like, I'm a producer at the Ellen Show. We saw your video, and Ellen loved it. Why are you guys out here? It was just, I, I didn't even think it was real when it happened. So, let I me mean, ask you this, because I'm always wondering if when somebody goes on, like, for example, The Tonight Show or Steve Harvey or something like that, even The Ellen Show. Now, when they fly you out, are they flying you, I, I don't really care if they fly you first class, but what I'm asking is, are they flying you? Are they putting you up in a hotel room? What are you paying for when, when they fly you out? Are you paying for anything at all or what? No, we didn't pay for anything at all. We didn't fly, like, we, I don't think we flew first class. We just flew regular. Right. And, uh, they put us up in the in the Universal Studios, which was pretty awesome. Universal Studios Hotel. Mm. It was like right next to the Ellen Show. And they had a they had a car server to pick us up and everything. It was like the coolest thing in the world. So are you having like so like let's say if you wanted to go out that night so you're having to pay for dinner. I mean it's not it's not fully the Ellen Show doing everything for you there, right? Yeah, because like we were only really at the Ellen Studios for probably like four or five hours. We so you there, kind of, you know, we hung out in this backstage area where they had tons of like, tons of like candy and all kinds of stuff for kids and like, or, like a trampoline I think was in there. We just wow. hung out there all day. And, you know, they gave us food, stuff like that. So, so um, you're there for the entire show. You're not there for your segment and leave, right? No, like um, I'm pretty sure that David Spade and oh um, man. Michael C. Hall, the guy from Dexter, I think it's Michael right. C. Hall. And um, one of the guys from Jersey Shore, mm. Ollie Shore, something like that, the DJ, he was there that day too. So did you ever get the chance to meet like David Spade and Michael C. Hall from... It was crazy because we were actually pulling out of the... Um, we didn't even know David Spade was going to be there. And we were pulling out, leaving the whole, leaving for the day. Mm. We had already finished and he was pulling in and we saw him get out of his car and we were kind of pulling out so we didn't really get to meet him. <laughs> Okay, so it's not really, um, you get to hang out for, you get to hang out with all the guests there, right? You're on your, you're in your one little section. Yeah, I mean, like, we were backstage and Ellen was walking by, and that's how we met her. She was just walking by, like, probably coming from the bathroom, she just walked by, sure. and we got to stay with up and take a picture and stuff. So, cool. is, she, is, she as, is she as cool as she seems on the on TV? Yeah, she's so cool, and she's, right. she's so genuine, like, she cares about people, I don't, I don't know, I just could really feel that. I think everybody in the room can feel that when they're with it. Yeah, yeah. So, you, you, your video goes viral. So, let's do air quote viral. And then it, you go on the Ellen Show. So then, down the road, you write all of my tomorrows for Colt Ford. Which, that is when you received your very first uh, Billboard number one hit. From the album. Yeah. It's kind of a crazy story. Like A lot of people don't know my the, like the real behind-the-scenes story, but... The guy that helped me get on the Ellen show mm. basically talked me into changing my name to Dakota Bradley, which is not my real name. It's just a name that I went by. Mm. He kind of talked me into it. I was young and impressionable. He's like, man, we're going to get you a record deal. You're just going to go by this name and play these songs and do this and that. So I ended up going by this different name. And they threw me in all these different writing sessions. And I knew that I was writing with Colt Ford one day. So, I mean, I'm from St. Louis, which is this Nelly's from St. Louis. So I'm hip-hop influence. I'm... Chuck Berry influence, yeah. influence all kinds of different stuff and I went in with Colt Ford and made like a an acoustic guitar mixed with like a rap beat kind of thing mm -hmm. and he just gravitated towards it immediately and it was really crazy because it was like it was my first day I ever met him and he ended up putting it on his album which went number one which is really cool so who did you write that with did you write that with Colt yeah I wrote it with Colt Ford and uh, Noah Gordon 
think he was Noah's, or he was Cole's producer at the time. Right. So when you see this, he's he's kind of a big boy. So when you see this big guy come in with his shades and his cowboy hat, are you um, frightened a little bit, or are you just like, man, I want to see if this guy is actually a douche or if he's really the real deal? My dad is like. 350 pounds, he is just <laughs> like Colt Ford in okay. so many ways, so I mean, I grew up with a guy that was a lot like Colt Ford, so I immediately was friends with him, and I actually recently have been on the road with Willie Nelson, opening shows for Willie Nelson, right. Colt, that was the first thing he ever talked about was Willie Nelson, so I just, we immediately were friends, it was pretty cool. So, when, let's just say, you wrote with Colt and his producer, is Colt... Let's sit down and chat for a few minutes, or is he? Let's get straight to the point so I can uh, get this out as quick as possible. It's funny, man. I am that way. Like I, I got into that writing session like five minutes before him, and he walks in and he sits down and he starts asking me all these questions, trying to get to know me. Mm. And I was like, man, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I've got this piece of music that I wrote for you, and I gotta, I gotta just, sing, I gotta sing you my melody, and I gotta play you this guitar part, and just play you the drums right now. I had to, I honestly had to cut him off of like getting to know me, and I just played up the music, and we started writing it right away. Mm. And then after we wrote it, it's really when we started talking and getting to know each other, you know. So how did you get a writing session with Colt Ford? How how did that come about? So the Ellen Show opened up a lot of doors for me. I was able right. to just go meet with different publishing companies in Nashville, which honestly every single one of them turned me down at first because I can see why. I was so I was so, sorry. I got a puppy. In my no, you're cool. I was so young. And uh, I didn't really know what I was, A, I was going by a different name, so I already felt a little bit weird. That probably wasn't the most confident back then. Right. So I got turned out by a publishing company. Finally, I landed a publishing deal with Byron Gallimore, who's Tim McGraw's producer. Sure. He signed me to a, uh, a couple-year-long publishing deal, and they started booking me writing sessions. They booked me with Cold War, so that's all I got. Okay. So... Have you wrote for anyone? Because um, Cole kind of a big name in the, um, the 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 country rap genre. Um, have you wrote for any? Have you wrote with anyone else or for anyone else that has recently cut something? I mean, like my brother-in-law is probably going to be my brother-in-law. It's Jordan Schmidt, who's a huge country songwriter. Right. I've written with him, but just being influenced by him, I'm always seeing him work. He's a badass, so it's cool to be around him. But for me, I've written with a lot of people like. I've written with every type of writer. The two people that I really wanted to write with during my country stuff was Ashley Gorley and Craig Wiseman, which are yes. huge writers that I've not written with. Mm. Those are on my bucket list, but I've written with a lot of people. I've gone, I'm going to do like a lot of writing retreats and stuff like that, but to be honest, like lately, uh, like I actually got a song cut two years ago with Ty Herndon, which I think okay. he released on his album. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of, it's just a long story, man. Like, so I, I toured for a long time doing the country. So, so, like, so Byron ended up signing me to his record label after the publishing deal. Mm-hmm. And he put me out on the road, and I got to do some radio tours. I did three radio tours, which took about three years, where I was just going to radio stations with me and my guitar. Right. Traveling, like, every single day, maybe, like, two days a week off, where I would fly back home. And uh, just started traveling a lot. And kind of, and I was, again, was going by a different name, and I felt just like I wasn't being authentically myself. And then the record label that I was signed to, right. five years into my deal, ended up just closing. They just closed their doors, and that was the end of it. So the label closed, and I was like, okay, so I don't really have to go by this name anymore. I don't have to do this music anymore, if I didn't want to. So I spent two years just kind of staying in my room with my electric guitar, writing songs, and 
decided to go back to my real name, which is Lenny Pitt. Just decided to make music right. that I really believe in, really feel, and it moves me. And now that I'm playing it out live, it just feels way more authentically me. So I kind of had to go through that whole experience to get around that time. So you said you wrote it a lot. So like, have you written with like? Um... Um, like Shane McAnally, Busby, Dan Huff, any of those guys like that, the bigger names? Um, I haven't written with Dan Huff. I, I, he was going to be my producer before Byron ended up being my producer because I met with Dan Huff at his house and played mm-hmm. a music. He ended up working with Hunter Hayes like a right. week before I met him, and we were kind of doing the same thing, so he had already had an artist, had an artist that was similar, to, you know? Right, so... We, you, why we didn't work. When, when 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 you moved to Nashville in 2009 after your house uh, was 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 set, was destroyed by a fire, who was in your class now? Like who moved to Nashville with you? That is now we we my listeners and me might know that that are that like, are who moved from St. Louis with me to Nashville. No 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 who not not necessarily St. Louis but who when you when you got to Nashville who was there that is now mainstream artist? Oh okay um. I mean, I'm not sure if they were already living there or not, but right when I moved here is when, like, Hunter Hayes okay. kind of popped off, like, Thomas Red and Brett Eldridge and a lot of those guys. Like, I, I remember going to these PMA events, and, like, nobody knew who Brett Eldridge was, and he kind uh. of saw him get his first number one, and, you know, it was just, like, a lot of people like that that are kind of young, up-and-coming artists that started out, like, because I've been here for probably eight years. And, right. You know, a lot of stuff happens in eight years, at least in country music, you know? Mm-hmm. So, now you're endorsed by Laney Amplification. How did that come about where you're now, and you got a sponsor, and you're endorsing this Laney Amp? How, how did that come about? So, like, after I kind of took the two years off of, like, taking co-writes with different people. Right. And I just wrote a bunch of my own music. I, I really did develop my own style. It's, it's mm. like... The closest thing I can compare it to is John Mayer, but I don't try to step on John Mayer's music at all because he's, he's awesome. I don't want to sound like John Mayer, but yeah. I have a lot of stuff that reminds me of John Mayer in my music. And um, I ended up meeting this lady who took me on a writing retreat with a couple people, and I told them, like, look, I'm not trying to write country songs. I'm trying to write my stuff for my own album that I'm trying to make right now. And uh, I met this guy, and he, he just loves my music. And he's like, man, I'm going to put you in the room with these lame ant people. They would love you. So these guys flew over from the UK to meet up with me and one other guy to play guitar in Smash Mouth. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to that guy's house and met them and played through all these amps and was just ripping through these amps. They immediately were like, all right, take one home. <laughs> you know? Right. It, so they've been with you ever since? Yeah, that was only, that wasn't even a year ago. Okay. Like so... When you went on the Ellen Show, someone came to you and you you, you wrote for Colt Ford, and now you're signed with Stream Sound Records, um, which you released music under a stage name, and the music was produced by uh, Byron Gallimore and Tim McGraw himself. So, did you, was there any when when he's producing your album, Tim McGraw himself? Is there meeting Tim McGraw? Is there him giving you advice? How is how is that working when Tim McGraw, the country legend, is 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 producing your albums yeah so so Byron who's Tim's producer he's the guy that signed me right all that stuff he signed me and he got really he, he was like he was behind me he really believed in me and um, my manager at the time just kind of asked Byron like hey like we gotta if we're gonna if this kid's gonna be a star we need someone like Tim McGraw to put their stamp of approval on him so people take him more seriously because he's 
Otherwise, he's just like everyone else. He's an up-and-coming artist. Mm. You know, so like having Tim McGraw's stamp of approval changed my entire life. It was a genius idea of that guy. And um, so Byron basically just let me come to Blackbird Studios one day when they were tracking Tim's album. Mm. And I walked in with an acoustic guitar. And like looking back, the songs I played were terrible. They were the worst songs I've ever written, honestly, looking back. Right. I played for Tim, and it was just the way that... Like, my fingernail chipped, and my finger was bleeding, and I still have blood in that guitar that I played. And Tim was just making, like, the rock and roll sign with his hand. Yes, keep, keep playing. Like, <laughs> blood was dripping on my guitar, and that's the main reason why he was like, all right, you're playing with heart, so I gotta believe it. Because my songs at the time weren't that good, you know? So, like, he didn't just immediately start producing my album. He was like, all right, I believe in you, so maybe go write some songs for, like, three months, and then we'll get back together. So that's what I did. I wrote for, like, three more months, and tried to find a sound that was me, you know, and got pretty close, and we went in and cut 12 songs, we never really made like an album, but we just keep, we just cut like periodically, and it built up to 12 songs, mm-hmm. and, I, and I released a few of them, but I went on these radio tours, and we didn't really, we just like, it was kind of annoying, because I always was like arguing with my record label, but we would go on these radio tours, and tell them what the single was, and then my label just wouldn't release the single, so I never really got that much music out there in the first place. And why and and why was that? Why was why were they not pushing a single after you had told everyone what your single is going to be? If they like you, then they're going to be upset at you, and then that could be um, less fans on your part because of the record label. What do you know? What their stance was behind that? I mean, I'm definitely I'm only 25, so I'm right. kind of like kind of music music executive with all this knowledge. But my honest opinion is that they hired some people that knew nothing about the music industry to be the CEO of this company. And the, the people just ran it into the ground. They didn't know okay. what they were doing. And they would, like, of course they're not going to listen to an 18-year-old kid who's like, yeah, I want to I use this single. They they picked the single for me, and then they would be like, well, we're not going to release it. We're going to we're gonna have them write a little bit longer, and then we'll go on another radio tour. We'll release it when the time is right. You know, They just would mm-hmm. say things like that. And, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just really frustrating. So I honestly... I probably have like not even five songs on iTunes under Dakota Bradley, and Lenny Pay only has one song released, and I, it was kind of a demo of the song, I just wanted to get a song out there, but on June 20th, I've got my first single in like five years coming out, that is truly my sound and my vibe, and I'm in the middle of recording the whole album, producing it myself, I've got a few people helping me produce it, but I'm recording all the tracks myself in different studios, doing it all myself, and it's been the most creative experience ever. I'm really excited about it. So you you said you're only 25, man. I'm only 21, and I want to get into the music industry. Not not work in it, but I want to understand the background, the what's going on through their minds. That's that's one reason why I'm doing this this podcast here. So when you met Tim McGraw, and he was, yeah, man, you're good. You played with heart, so I have to respect that. That must have been one of the best compliments you've ever had. Oh yeah, and it was just cool to be able to like. To be honest, I dropped out of high school when I when I got my record deal. I dropped out of high school. Right. So this is what I've known since. If you look at any picture of me from the day I was born, when right. I was a three year old kid, I had the, a little toy electric guitar. I, I've always, always wanted to do music. It's like called me since I was born. And um, to be able to tell my family, like some of my family, like obviously when you drop out of high school, you got some aunts and uncles and people that are going to disapprove of that choice. You know, right. it's a pretty crazy thing to do. So it was cool to be kind of validated and tell my family like. Hey, Tim McGraw just put a stamp of approval on me. And, and Byron Gallimore, who Byron, in my eyes, is 
on a whole other level than McGraw. Byron is like the brain behind Tim McGraw's music. Right. A lot of people don't even know that. You know? He's the, he is the secret to Tim's music. Mm. So, when they were producing your music, um, you toured with Tim McGraw. Um, what? How, how did he come upon, I don't know who asked you, but who asked you to tour with, with him and come open up for him, and, and what was that experience like? Man, I never even had a booking agent. My label okay. kind, of, kind of put these shows together for me. Like, I had a booking agent that booked me the only, the, the Tim McGraw show. Right. It was, it was CAA, the booking company, CAA. Mm-hmm. And um, I went into their office in Nashville with a full band and stood up on a table or on a chair or something so everybody could see me and rocked acoustically in this place. And um, it's still, looking back, it wasn't the right, it wasn't the music that I'm like now making and now I'm really passionate about. It was just music that at the time I thought was pretty cool. But they, they booked me just because Tim was producing my album and it was like, we were trying to make it look like Tim put his stamp of approval on me. Right. It just made sense for them to like make a few phone calls and get me a couple shows. Cause I didn't do like a whole entire tour. I just did a couple shows, spot dates here and there. And um, even just, the chance to get to go, like, to know that I'm about to get on a plane or a bus and go open for Tim McGraw was the coolest thing. One of the coolest things that I've ever experienced in my life. Like, he is a class act, he's an awesome, down-to-earth guy, he cares about people, he's an awesome entertainer. I learned so much about being on stage just watching him, you know? He's, right. he's incredible. Like, just all of, his, all of his band members are all awesome people, incredible musicians. So, like, it was... And I had the time of my life. I was 20 years old and I was out there doing that, you know? And so, I want to know, I've never had someone open up, like on a tour, for example. They've opened up for them, like maybe at a festival or something like that. But you actually opened up for Tim McGraw on a tour. Um, so, how does the pay work? Is is Tim McGraw, pay, or, or the producers paying you? You're, you're, or are you having to forfeit money out of your... Because I know... Like, um, let's take um, maybe like Lindsay L, for example. If she was to go on tour, she would have to have money to pay her band and her band's hotel rooms, but she would also get that money back from touring. Right. So how did that well, work for you? The artist has like a different setup, but my record deal was set up kind of weird, where they put me, I mean, they just paid me, period. They paid me monthly instead of like, I would get paid per show. So my label would pay the band, the label would pay, I basically like signed a crazy record deal because I was so young and never really made money off of shows because it was mostly like recouping every dollar I made out on the road was me paying back the money that they the advance that they gave me if that makes sense so um, I don't want to get too personal if you don't want to answer don't want to answer how much were you making a show with Tim McGraw because honestly I don't even know because, I really have no idea I would assume like five grand or something like that but because, I really don't even know because, because you were the you were the baby act you, you were the the baby act and then there was a, a middle opener, and then there was Tim. That, that's usually how it works. There's, th- there's two openers, and then the main act. So when you're yeah. making, so what are you doing? You play, let's say you play 15 to 20 minutes, 25 minutes, something like that. You go, you're done. What do you do after your after your time is allotted is over with, and, and you're done playing? What do you do? Well, that uh, one of the Tim McGraw shows. Most of the time, you hang out. In a bus, so you hang out side stage and watch the show or watch whoever you're opening for a show. And like, if I can, I have family there that comes and watches me play, and then they'll come backstage and get to like take a picture with him or something like that. Right. But um, a couple of the shows, I was able to see Tim before um, he went on stage, but right after I played, 
Mm-hmm. And he was like, man, you just warmed him up. You did great. He was like, how do you feel about singing a song with me? Like, I went up and sang uh, one of his songs, Truck Yeah, which right. was like Preston, uh, Low Catch Cowboys wrote that uh-huh. song, so I already knew the song. And, um, yeah, it was just cool, man. It's like, sometimes you're paying by the hour or something like that for the bus, and you got to get back on the bus and drive it back to Nashville or wherever you picked it up at, you know, so you're not wasting money. So... You're watching Tim side stage. Let's say you you opened up Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. Let's say you're doing three days in a row. Is it get tiring seeing the same act for three days straight? Or are you just kind of like, okay, I'm over this? Or is it kind of like, that guy's my idol. I don't care what he does. How many times he sings the same set, I'm still going to enjoy it. Yeah, I'm more like that because, like, to be honest, I have no clue. Any show I've ever really played... Minus, minus, like, after my record deal, now I'm my own manager and I'm my own, I'm my own business operator. I do it all right. myself. So now I know how much money I make these shows because I, I care a lot more about that stuff. But before, like, all I cared about was I don't want to hear about how much money we're making. I don't want to hear about how long the drive it is. I just want to make the music. I want to listen to the music. I want to be submerged in why I'm out here, you know? So I really, like, I studied him and I watched every song. Every time I got to see him play, I would stand there, you know. Never got bored of it. So do you think that hurts you when you said that you didn't care how much money you were, make, you were making, you're just doing what you love? Did, did that, do you think that hurt you, or, or did it put you in the place where you're at now? It definitely put me in the place I'm at now. I know that my kind of carefree attitude, and I'm kind of a free thinker, and I'm like, I'm a semi-hippie. I'm a free thinker. Sure. I'm a, I, I got to hang out with Willie Nelson recently, and I just feel like him and I, we have a similar outlook on life, Everybody should love each other and get along. My record label was like, we just argued a lot. So I think, I mean, I don't think it hurt me not caring about how much money I made, but yeah. I don't know. So you go from touring with Tim to opening up for Vanilla Ice. What? Yeah. <laughs> me and you, man, we were too young to really realize how big Vanilla Ice's uh, Ice Ice Baby was. So what yeah. was it like, you know, opening up for, for, for Vanilla Ice? Man, I'll tell you the story. Jason Derulo right. played, it was me, and then Jason Derulo, and then Vanilla Ice, in that order, and the sun was shining, 70,000 people were in the audience, it was the Boise Music Festival, right. 70,000 people, there were fire trucks spraying water up in the sky, these huge hoses, it was so hot, just to cool these crowds off, 70,000 wow. people, biggest crowd I've ever played, and I played with me and one other guy, both on acoustic guitars, mm. and I unplugged my acoustic guitar and jumped off the stage and ran through crowd so you couldn't even hear what i was playing but the place was just going nuts it was so cool and i got off stage and i see vanilla heist getting out of his like sprinter van or that he pulled up in right. and then i see jason derulo standing there doing backflips before he goes on stage like just doing backflip backflip over and over and like doing push-ups and just getting pumped up before he went on stage and well i went right up to vanilla heist and just asked him for a picture and didn't really say a whole lot to him because he was kind of getting ready to go you know so did he know you were there opening up for him? Did he know? No, he didn't even know. He didn't know. So when you, when Jason Derulo obviously was there, so he was, so he was aware that you were singing. Um, so what year was this? Was was Jason Derulo? I don't know what time it was or what year it was. So I can't really say if Jason Derulo was in his time uh, was where he was at. What time you saying? Well, what 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 year was this this? Vanilla Ice opening. I don't know. Four years ago, maybe? 
Okay, so Jason Derulo had, had was in his prime about four or five years ago with that "Want to Want Me." So he was he was actually pretty pretty big back then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so I don't know if you knew this, Lenny. Um, I don't know if any of the listeners knew this, but I am like a nerd. Like when I say that, I I, I like researching everything. If I like this song, I'm going to realize what it's about. I'm a music nerd. I'm a movie nerd. I'm stuff like that. But I also Wikipedia a lot of stuff. And I don't know if you realize this, but Vanilla Ice did a podcast one time, and he was um. Do you know he may, he went to college and majored in interior design? Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> <laughs> and. That's crazy. And it, it's weird because he has that Ice Ice Baby, but he also has that uh, play that funky music. And, and, and the thing about the Ice Ice Baby thing that's weird to me is um, it's obviously using the music from Under Pressure from Queen and David Bowie. Right. Obviously, that's what he's using. But he made this statement one time that I thought was ridiculous, but was also smart in his, in his part. He said that... Because Queen and all them, had, they had filed a, a lawsuit against him because they were using their rights to the music, and he didn't credit them. And he was like, "No, my music goes ba ba da ba ba da ba deep, but theirs goes ba ba da ba ba da ba." Which now <laughs> Freddie Mercury is credited with Ice Ice Baby and David Bowie. So, which I, I think is a pretty pretty wild story. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> so I think everyone would agree. Oh. By a mile, you can tell. Like sometimes now, you're like, because Ed Sheeran is getting sued for this, 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 this song that he did, which you you can tell somehow a little bit that it's a rip off of the other song. But then it's like you can only make so much notes, and music can only span so much before it has to regenerate and come back and sound like something else. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. There's only so many chords you can use too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now, you opened for Vanilla Ice, and then let's 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 go. Let's fast forward now for a couple of months ago, where you opened up for Willie Nelson. Now, was that bigger for you than opening up for Tim McGraw, or was that just like, you know, he's Willie Nelson, he's cool? Because me and you, man, we've never known Willie Nelson young. We we've we've always known him as the old man with the with the braids. Yeah. So what was that like? To be honest, it was like a whole. It was. I don't, I'm not gonna like say it was way cooler than the Cinderella. Right. It was, way cooler. it was way cooler because like I've been a Willie Nelson fan of his music for my whole life. I've been, I've been, my dad's a big fan of Willie Nelson's yeah. music, and a lot of older country artists. My dad loved, like grew up listening to all that stuff. And um, I don't know, man. Just the, the, it was way more surreal. It was way more surreal to be doing that than the Cinderella stuff for me, and it felt like. When I told people that I did that versus McGraw, the reactions been way different. Everybody like seems to be like flabbergasted when I tell them I opened for Willie Nelson. You know? So how did that come about? You opening for Willie Nelson? Was it like another festival or what was it? I'll tell you what, how it actually happened. My sister, like since my record deal, she actually signed her own publishing deal with Shane McAnally as a country pop artist. My sister called me and she's like, hey, I'm, I'm about to go on tour and promote some music that Jane McAnally produced on my sister. Right. She's an awesome artist. She's a great writer. She's a great singer. What's, what's her name? And, uh, her name's Renee Blair. Renee. She's, got a, she's got like over a million streams on Spotify. Okay. And she called me to come play a few shows with her and I ended up going on the road with her for like four months, basically just traveling all over the country and 
we got very lucky to be able to go open for Willie Nelson. It was me and my sister, so brother and sister together got, got to open for Willie Nelson and family. So mm. they loved us that we were brother and sister, and they just that's, that's we really bonded with them because his Willie Nelson's sister is 88 years old and comes out in high heels and riffs on the piano at 88 years old. He's 86 years old. Yeah, so that family has to be blessed because I mean they're almost I mean they're closer to a hundred and and they're still going you know more than a twenty five year old sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean he he definitely sang like incredible. He looked awesome. He did not even look eighty six. He looked like maybe seventy six. He didn't look eighty six. And he plays the guitar with so much passion. And he the stuff that he does on the guitar. There's some people in their twenties that are. Like right. all day, every day, we don't think like he thinks. Like he's got a, he, it's very musical, very musical. So, I was, I, I'm familiar, I, I'm very curious about this because I, I asked this, um, I was interviewing this guy one time and he met Willie Nelson and um, backstage and Willie Nelson offered him a joint. Did he ever offer you one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know how much... <laughs> We had some, we had a few joints in our dressing room waiting for us before and after the show. Oh, yeah. So they took care of us out there. Definitely. And I'm a big fan. I mean, I'm not a fan of drug use at all. I'm not a fan of alcohol. I don't, I don't even touch alcohol. Uh -huh. I don't drink at all. But you know, I mean, can't argue with the fact that weed is a natural plant that grows yeah. without people's health. It grows on its own in the wild naturally. So I mean. Yeah, and whether you're religious or not, weed is a natural thing, and when and we have receptors for it in our brain, so it's I don't know. I feel like we're supposed to ingest it, and I don't. I'm a, I, I'm a proponent of it. I'm not like a yeah. I don't promote it. No, I I don't either. It, and 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 we we're we're, we're we know it's we're, we're told it's bad, so we believe that it's that it's a drug. You know, um, I don't do it. I've never have. I don't plan on it because I'm just that kind of. I, I like clean stuff going through. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just weird. I never touched alcohol. Never will. And yeah. I do realize now that it is it's not a drug um, because it's used for cancer use. It's used for different kind of sicknesses. And it's like, well, if it's legal there, why can't everyone do it? Which I don't really care if you do it or not. Just if you do it around me, don't offer me nothing. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I mean, we went to high school, yeah. man. We we went to high school. We know. Pot is there, and we know people smoke it, so yeah. it doesn't really bother me. So, Dude, like I have, I have pretty severe anxiety, and like, me too. Attacks pretty, pretty regularly, and I was like 17, signing a record deal, going on the Ellen Show, and having all these this, like extreme anxiety while having extremely positive things happen. I had extremely yeah. negative like, attacks and, and depression, and all those things that human beings feel. And like, I went to a doctor, and they put me on all kinds of like prescription stuff that's supposed to help you with anxiety and yeah. it's all addictive and all terrible side effects and makes you like a zombie and it makes you not productive and it's all bad and it just I don't know I really learned that it just makes the doctors money and like the fact that they would even give a pill to someone that you can take so much of it and die I don't understand like it's just I don't know so long story short like the whole changing my name thing it messed my, my brain up a little bit because I had to, to re-find myself as a person and mm. like, that's why I spent two years doing it, just like going out kayaking and just like being with myself and learning who I really am 
and my anxiety, like I had to, I had to get off all of those prescription pills. This is what I was, this is only for like six months of my life, and I was like getting out of high school, and I was like having all these panic attacks. But I found, I discovered weed, and it, it just every time I smoke it, there's not a chance that I'll have a panic attack. There's not a chance that I will feel social anxiety if I'm around people. Like I've got a show, a writers round tonight, Nashville, and I get social anxiety, but like it just helps with it just helps with that stuff. For me personally, it helps. Yeah. So when you were finding yourself, was was that hard? Was it was it hard to just figure out who you really were after you were told you're not that person anymore? Definitely, and I'm still finding myself every day. I think every I think that's the whole part of life. We're all on the journey. We're all trying to figure out who we are, why we're here. Yeah. What our purpose is, you know. So. Before I get someone on here, really, for an interview, I usually stock their profiles just so I can take mental notes of what really has happened in their life instead of me acting stupid. So i seen on your on, on, on your following list that Mitchell Tenpenny follows you. So was that just an out of the blue he followed you, or, or you actually know the guy? No, I actually know Mitchell. He was one of the first people I ever wrote a song with my whole life. I um, met him through a friend who went to high school with him. And, uh, like, the guy that my sister is with, Jordan Schmidt, right. he's best friends with Mitchell. He produces Mitchell. He wrote Drunk Me with Mitchell. He's number one. So, like, I'm, like Mitchell's kind of like, kind of like family. Like, Mitchell is a part of a family. I love Mitchell. So, for you, for those of you that don't realize who uh, Mitchell Tenpenny is, he's the guy that has the song Drunk Me. Um, recent number one. He actually has a new album out. Um, so, go get that. Um, but... So how cool was it to see someone that you went to high school like Mitchell Tenpenny to actually make it in the country business and actually have a number one? Was it was there a little was there a little jealousy there? Was it all happiness or was it like man I kind of despise that guy because we're doing the same thing and he's ten times bigger than I am? Man, the thing about Mitchell is ever since I met him, he hasn't faked it once. His voice is kind of the exact same. It's right. only gotten better. And his voice only gets better and his guitar playing only gets better and he was already incredible when I met him he, he Mitchell inspired me and like I he rubbed off on me a lot of his dials and how he sings and just, like I, we, we, we used to do a lot of writing together and just to see somebody that I'm friends with blow up to that level like nobody there's a lot of artists in Nashville like it's kind of what I don't get touch you anymore there's a lot of artists that are just really really cheesy and like record labels only sign them because like oh people some people in the world like cheesy country music, and Mitchell's not like that at all. Mitchell is, a, is an amazing singer. He's an amazing entertainer, amazing guitar player, so it's just cool to see a, a real music lover get out there and make it big, you know? Right. So, before we close down here, um, what? who are some of your favorite artists of all time like? If I had to pick one major artist that has impacted my life, it, uh, John Mayer. Man, you said it earlier. John Mayer is just, you know, that album Continuum just did a whole lot for me because when I first heard it, man, it was like, that guy knows me. Yeah. I mean, that album changed my entire life. Like, uh, like John Mayer says his big influence is Stevie Ray Vaughan, and that, that's some of the first music I even remember listening to in my life. Right. Stevie Ray Vaughan. I've studied Stevie Ray, but most importantly, I've studied John Mayer because he is like a hybrid of B.B. King and Stevie Ray and, and Eric Clapton and all these amazing guitar players blended into one hybrid guitar player. But John Mayer is also an incredible lyricist, an incredible oh songwriter. Oh my God, yes. 
you know, he's just phenomenal. So, like, the music I'm making right now, I'm, it's exactly what you just said. I'm trying to capture the feeling of, like, people listen to my songs and, like, man, he knows what I'm going through. Because I'm, I write stuff now, like, people are actually living through it, going through it. They may not be as deep and as profound as some of the John Mayer songs on Continuum, but they're just, I don't know. They're kind of written in a way that people can easily understand you know, besides, um, I don't want to take nothing away from any of the songwriters, but there's two people, um, well, you got to, I'm trying to eliminate Eminem from this, um, but sticking to the pop realm, there are really two lyricists that are like the best of all time to me, and that would be John Mayer and then Pat Monahan from Train. Um, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I was listening to that song, Drops of Jupiter. Dude, I have no clue what that song is, is even about. <laughs> I just know it's the jam. I, yeah. Now she's. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. agree. It, it's like now she's back from the atmosphere with drops of Jupiter in her hair. What does that even mean? <laughs> it's, <I know. laughs> it's like, what? And then it took me a while to finally. Because one of my favorite John Mayer songs is that uh, Paper Doll from um, Paradise Valley album. And uh, it took me forever to figure out what that song was finally about. And when I realized when. Taylor Swift and John Mayer finally broke up. Of course, she had a song called Dear John. We knew who that was about. But I didn't realize until probably a, I don't know, probably maybe a year ago that Paper Doll was actually about Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> it was like mind blown, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. Writing songs about specific people is a, is a tricky road to go down. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was kind of like, um, to me, it was like that Blake Shelton and Miranda Lambert feud they had going on there. Like he, he had released that "She's Got Away with Words," and then she had released the the her album that had like was a two disc set. It had like twenty six albums. She didn't put it out on Apple Music, so I actually had to go buy the actual copy just to see if she went back on Blake. Man, she didn't even do anything, and that was the worst sixteen dollars that I had ever spent. I, I was so I was so I was so let down. I was like, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I didn't hear that album. And, and I don't I don't like Miranda Lambert, so it was Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about I've never really cared for her that much. Yeah, I mean I don't know. I like I like I like all music but I'm just I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I, no, that's me. That's me. I I I I love all kinds of music. I mean, I sometimes I, um I've been listening to um I'm a fan of big superhero fans. So, of course I watched the new Endgame movie, Avengers, and um I've been listening to that the soundtrack album. And it's just a bunch of classical music, and I actually really enjoy it because it takes me because once you watch a movie, you're not gonna see that movie for the first time ever again. Right. So it's like when I listen to that, it takes me back to the spot where I sat and I heard all these m music while I was watching the whole movie, and it was it just it just brings a certain experience. Yeah, definitely. Classical music, you said. Yeah, that's what that album is. I, I'm not I'm not particularly. Oh, I'm gonna pick this classical album. I don't really care for classical that much, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah. before we close down here. Um, what song or, or songs bring you back to your childhood? Like you hear that one song and you're like, man, that brings me back to this place of time. I'm doing this. I'm here. I'm this age. I'm doing this. Um, the first song I ever learned on the guitar 
Rush. Right. And that was also the first concert I ever went to was Rush. Okay. So anytime I hear Rush, it takes me back to my childhood. Sitting in the car, listening to these songs as a kid, while my mom's driving or my dad's driving or something. Or like Stevie Ray Vaughan, or honestly, Sweet Child of Mine, just hearing that yeah. guitar riff and going to a guitar lesson and learning that riff, but like that guitar riff for the first time, I'll always be brought back to childhood. And um, Slow Dancing in the Burning Room reminds me of oh, my childhood and just learning guitar and learning the importance of a Fender Strat through a clean toned amp with the right reverb. I'm, I'm a guitar nerd. I just study yeah. it. It is like, like. I don't know. It's something about John Mayer, like you listen to a song and you're like, oh, that's just straight guitar, but John Mayer uses a lot of pedals. Oh, yeah. A lot of foot pedals, and you're like, because sometimes, because I, I played guitar for a while, for a few years, and then I just didn't really give it up. It's just, you know, you just faded away with it. But um, so I started to read a little bit of notes and learned. So sometimes during a song, I'm like, oh, that's, that's this chord, that's A minor, that's. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's yeah. a certain song, but it's like John Mayer. Sometimes you can't even tell what he's even playing. <laughs> yeah, see, like me, I know every single thing he's doing because I'm just I'm such a nerd. Yeah, yeah. I study him, and like I'm studying music theory, and I know what he's doing. But it's, he is sometimes I don't know what he's doing. He's just incredible. You know, I John Mayer is such he's weird, but all. Everybody is weird at their own thing, but I think he's just so intelligent at music that he that's all that's going through his brain is, is music and lyrics and how can I make this better? Yeah. Definitely. Like, guitar, guitar is a thing where you can easily fade away from it. It's like, it's also, it's just like anything. It just takes an insane amount of hours and practice and spending so much time with the guitar in your hands to actually yeah. get good. Like, there was... Even to this day, I'll, I will have a guitar with a guitar strap hanging from my shoulders. I'll be walking out of the house playing guitar. I'll be flipping eggs. I'll be making breakfast with a guitar. Like, I always have a guitar in my hands. And, like, I'm, I'm in a town where, like, for instance, tonight I'm going, I'm going to play this writer's round. Which the writer's round is just where you're on stage with four other songwriters and you just play a song and the next one plays a song. And just, you go in a circle and everybody plays until so you each play, like, four songs. And everybody's going to be playing country music, the most recent country songs they've written. They're all going to have an acoustic guitar in their hand. But I'm going to bring an 85-pound Laney amp, my Fender Strat, and a pedal board, and a looping pedal, and just, like, build a, build a jam and just rip on the guitar and make myself stand out. So that's part of my thing is, like, there's nobody that even does what John Mayer really does in Nashville. There's a lot of people that say they do. Yeah. I study the guitar. I'm going to give, that's what I want my thing to be, is I just want to, rip on the guitar to make people know that I study it, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but um, in country music, there's this um, Lindsay L, for example. She did the whole entire con uh, Continuum album, and it is fantastic. So yeah. she can't do the things John Mayer can do, but she can do stuff that's similar and sounds like it. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I listened to every song on, that, on, that, on Lindsay L's yeah. Continuum thing. I thought it was awesome, man. I loved yeah. it. I'm glad you did that. So, man, as we close out here, last last um, question here. My hero is Bobby Bones. That's why I'm doing this. Who is your hero? It doesn't. It, it can be musical. It can be personal. It can be whatever you want. But who is your hero? Who is my hero? Probably my dad. Your dad. My hero. Right. Well, 
Cool, man. My dad is just always there for me. He's never, I've never really seen my dad get mad about really anything in my whole life. And I have a short temper, so I like like little things. People fluster me because I'm just a creative, yeah. creative person, and like things fluster me, you know. And my dad is just the opposite, super calm right. all the time. He's just a big teddy bear, and every guy, everywhere he goes, he's the loudest person in the room, and he makes friends with everybody, and they all end up loving him. And like, as part of being a being like the front man of a band is like you want to get on stage and you want people to love your music and, and scream and get excited. My dad did that my whole childhood. He's not even a musician. He just walked in a room and, and like it was almost like my dad was like a rock star when I was a kid. He, mm. he was a construction worker, but he had the energy of a rock star. Like people just wanted to hang out with him. And he's just a very nice person and like he, he just cares about people and that's probably why he's my So you got a new song, uh, Tug of War. Real quick, talk about that. Tug of War is a song that I intentionally wrote a hard guitar part. I spent months working on this guitar part, and I, and I, I made it off purpose. I'm like, I'm going to write a song. It's something that everyone around me is these writers' rounds, or if I go to a show in Nashville, something they're not going to be playing on the guitar, but they're definitely not going to be playing it on the guitar while singing a melody over that guitar part. This, this song has a really difficult guitar thing, and I'm singing while playing it, so it's like this, like patting your head, rubbing your stomach thing. It's a lot like that. Yeah. And once I like, once I got the marriage of the of the melody and the lyrics to go with the guitar, it was like a muscle. Like I had to sit with it and work work it and be able to sing it and play it at the same time. Right. So that's the whole thing of that song, and it's it's way different than all of my country music days music. It's just a whole new thing for me and I'm and I, I tracked it all myself at the studio and actually with a guy named Chris Condon who plays guitar with Billy Ray Cyrus mm-hmm. and he's been playing on Old Town Road and all those shows with Lil Nas and Billy Ray Cyrus which is pretty cool but um Tug of War is it's just like a hard it's a, a song about two people and you can just quit fighting and realize that love is in the middle and it's fighting a lot of times people in relationships just fight over the dumbest that's kind of what it's about. Well, cool, man. So, this was Lenny Pay on the Hodgepodge Podcast. Appreciate you doing this, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been awesome.